Hey, good morning, everybody. Man, you guys are awake. This is great. Well, I want to extend that welcome that Sarah gave. Um, man, welcome to a place you can belong before you believe. That means you don't have to believe what we do to come build relationships, explore faith. And our goal is just to help you take the next step in your uh, spiritual journey. And uh, we have starting point uh, tonight, and you might be wondering, well, what is that for? And that really is, is for people, if you're new, you've come in the last few weeks or last few months and wanted to know, like, how do I get in the life of the church or get connected or just know what my next steps are, start at the starting point, and uh, we would love to have you over the house. I'd lo- I just love that because I get to hear your story and get to know you. And uh, maybe you've been kind of, uh, kind of just in the, on the fringes of Whitewater for some time now. Maybe it's you know a year or more, um, but you feel, you're feeling like, okay, it's time to, to engage or at least take a next step. Um, that's, this is for you as well. Um, so I just want to extend that, um, that, that, that welcome, um, and it's tonight, so we'd love to have you. Um, I'm going to start us with prayer since we're in this prayer series. I thought that would be a good thing to do, and then we will uh, we'll jump in. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for each and every heart that's here. Thank you for every soul that you just care for, for so much. Lord, you sent your son to die for each and every one of us to take away our sin, to give us uh, a hope for our future. And Lord, would you just speak to those of us who have walked in here um, with heavy hearts um, that need um, encouragement? Would you speak to those of us who are coming in? Maybe we've been resistant to the, to the things that you're doing in our life, and I just pray that you'd soften our hearts, help us to listen to you. In uh, Jesus' name, amen. So, uh, well, a, a few things um, with... All, all the things that are going on, how many of you guys uh, snow impacted you? Any of you guys snow impacted you guys? Well, uh, one of the things that impacted was our, uh, we, had a, we had a prayer journals that we were going to go through all together, and it delayed it, and then with our own snow that happened um, last week, um, what we decided to do is we're, we're going to wait on giving out the devotionals. We're going to do another 21 days of prayer at some point during the year, because it's just, so, the, the journals are so worth digging into, and I, I want to make sure that we, that we maximize that, that time together. And so uh, we'll finish up these 21 days of uh, prayer next week, and um, and you can look forward to that at another point. Um, I was thinking about this. I, I never forgot learning about the peregrine uh, falcon. Have you guys ever heard about the peregrine falcon? A few of us, okay, bird people, or if you were here in the last service. Uh, the peregrine falcon were, <laughs> uh, uh, that's banned people. Or it was just that good of a sermon, right? You were like, I got to hear it again. It was so good. He's like, I like falcons. Um, <laughs> Um, what I learned was that the, this falcon in particular is, is built, it's designed in such a unique way that um, when it is in its element, it is actually, uh, it kind of does this circular soaring and it starts going higher and higher. And the levels of height that the, this falcon reach are, are amazing. And their eyes, they have like binocular vision. They can zero in from the highest of heights and see like their prey. They can see you and me. I mean, they, they're up there and we couldn't, we couldn't even see them with our, with our eyes, the heights that they're at. And their, their bodies are designed so that their wings uh, actually will, will take on a shape like a stealth bomber. They'll just all of a sudden uh, move their wings. And when it's time to swoop in on their prey or whatever they're doing, they'll all of a sudden um, 
move their move their wings down their feet will will come in just like an aircraft carrier or something their feet will move in and they just become this like gliding missile and they are actually the fastest animal on the planet um i use the word mammal last service and all these people were upset like birds aren't mammals apparently but they are the fa- <laughs> they are the fastest uh animal on the planet, they they've recorded one reaching uh, uh, the speed of 242 miles an hour. I mean, would you want to be the little bird that that thing plowed? I mean, just poof, pile of, of feathers. These things will just swoop in on their prey, whether it's a squirrel, a lizard, another bird, and boom, they'll just hit these things like a missile. And uh, their, their eyes, they have three lids so they can keep their eyes and their vision clear when they're moving at that speed. It's incredible, incredible what they can do. It's interesting, though, when they're on the ground, though, they're really limited. Like their vision is designed to be at higher heights and to see greater things and see a broader perspective. They, um, they're more uh, helpless in a situation like that. They can hop around. They're not very fast. They're like kind of a turkey. Like, so they'd be very easy for uh, some natural prey to take them out very easily when they're on the ground. And um, when I was thinking about prayer, one of the reasons that we're in this 21 days of prayer, uh, turning up the heat of prayer, turning up the heat of, of faith in our church so that maybe you start to have a prayer life or you go deeper in your prayer life. But, but one of the things I was thinking about is, is, is that we were designed to soar in the higher uh, the heights of heights. God has designed us to have clearer vision, to, to be able to see from his perspective. And, and so often, I'm, I'm afraid that many times we can be more like the, the falcon or, or, or a turkey on the ground, just hopping around. We can't see well. We're defenseless spiritually. We can, we can uh, focus on the wrong things. We can't uh, fend for ourselves. And it's just not our natural environment. But so often in this world, we get caught in the the lower regions, the lower lands of, of, of reality when you and I were designed to soar in the heights. And prayer lifts us. Prayer lifts us up so that we can see as we were designed to see with clarity of vision, so that we can move and fly with power in our faith. And, um, and this is how we're designed. And I'm hoping that this 21 days of prayer would lift us up as church, would lift you up as an individual. So you're not in the lowlands with the turkeys, but you're soaring with those peregrine falcons. There's this um, verse in Luke chapter 11 uh, where uh, a disciple sees Jesus praying. It says this in verse 1. Once Jesus was in a certain place praying, he finished one of it, when he finished, his, one of his disciples came to him and said, Lord, teach us to pray. You know, teach us to pray. And um, Jesus is probably a good model to learn prayer from, wouldn't you agree? If you're wanting to know about Christianity, you're wanting to know about faith, you might not believe yet, Jesus is a really good model to learn about prayer, to learn about faith. And the, the most beautiful thing, I think, about Scripture is that it teaches us who we are before God, and it teaches us that you and I can change. Not in our own strength and not in our own power, not in our own planning and stuff. And we can change incrementally, but I'm talking about like transformation, like a total inward change, a changing of who you and I are, that we can become um, people of great, of great joy, of great peace, of great forgiveness, uh, that we can, we can transform 
in the power of God. And, it, and sometimes I think we forget that. Like we can start walking along with faith or we can look at from the outside in. If you're not a Christian, you can look in and, and say, what, what, is this, what is Christianity? What is faith really about? What does it do for me? And I, I, want, you to tell, I want to tell you the Bible teaches us it is about transformation. And so what I want to do is I want to go over one of the most um, famous prayers uh, in the Bible. It's called the Lord's Prayer. It's uh, in Luke Uh, It's the passage we're going to be studying, and it's also in Matthew. But here's something really interesting. Um, In the book of... of Luke, it has a, the, the Lord's Prayer has a different dynamic to it. And I, this is, I want this to be a tool for you guys. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to go into some, some context, and I want you guys just to hang with me for a second, and then we'll get to some very practical things on prayer. Um, but if you'll just hang with me here for a little bit, I, I think this will really pop, this, this section of scripture. In Matthew, the Lord's Prayer is uh, in the beginning of, of the book of Matthew, but it has a different feel. The words aren't really that much different. The words aren't that much different. It's the context that makes the texture of the prayers feel differently. And in Luke, the context around the prayer, like the Lord's Prayer, um, it is one of the most unbelievable prayers when you realize the context. How many of you guys know what I mean by context? Okay, a few of you. Um, how many of you guys like roast beef? You guys like roast beef? You guys know, how many people know what roast beef is? <laughs> Some of the vegans like, no, I refuse. Um, but uh, roast beef is really good. And you guys like roast beef, most of you guys? Okay, uh, how many of you guys know what a roast beef sandwich is? Okay, is roast beef by itself the same as a roast beef sandwich? No, right? Why? The context has changed. There's like two pieces of bread, some mustard, some mayo, maybe a little bit of horseradish, salt and pepper, and it's amazing. Totally different thing right? Um, but they both have roast beef. They're, they're different though because of the context. So let me talk with you a, a, a little bit about some of the, the, the context here. It says once Jesus was in a certain place praying in the, in the book of Luke, we see Jesus always going off. He had this rhythm of like engagement with uh, the culture, ministry, healing people, preaching to them, loving people, doing the things that Jesus did that blew people away. He was just incredible. But he had this rhythm of engagement and ministry and then withdrawal to be with his heavenly father. Like it was the time where he got to be with him and, and seek clarity and have relationship with God so he could fill himself up to go do ministry and engagement and then withdrawal to be with his father. And it was this rhythm that we see. And his disciples saw that and they saw that Jesus lived in many ways in a different um, plane or a different reality. He was in the same reality, but he lived totally differently. And so his disciples were like, I want to live like that because the beautiful thing is we're never going to be Jesus, but we can become like him. We can grow. Once Jesus was in a certain place praying, it reminds me of um, this rhythm where Jesus would get out, he'd go to a mountain or he'd go to the wilderness, but he'd have these experiences with God on his own. Um, it reminded me of um, circadian rhythms. If you guys are familiar with circadian rhythms, and that what it is simply is like you and I biologically, we have kind of built into us in this, in this world we live in, and the world around us is actually built around this too, is these 24-hour periods of time, day and night, day and night. And our bodies are actually wired to like, when, it be, when the light comes out, we become alert and our bodies start functioning differently. Alertness comes uh, to us, organs in our body, um, chemicals, uh, biologically we respond to the daytime. 
And then when it's nighttime, like our bodies start to slowly shut down. It's time for the rhythms of our brain to, to change and our bodies to go into a different rhythm. So biologically, we're healthy. And so we're, there's this day and night and day and night and these 20, this 24-hour period, it's, they call it a circadian rhythm. Now, it's really great unless you're on graveyard. If you're on graveyard, it disrupts the circadian rhythm. Or if maybe you're a parent of like a one-month-old to a year-old, doesn't it change your circadian rhythm? All of a sudden, you, 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 talk, you talk to a parent who's, who's got a, a kid in that age range, and they're getting up at night. Like, they, th- things have changed. And, and health is changing. Decision-making, your fuse for on your temper might have just shrunk in half or more, right? It's, everything changes. And they've actually done studies. If your circadian rhythm is off, and you're doing graveyard, kid watch, or whatever, and you're, you're just off, um, your body isn't as healthy, your decision-making isn't as good, and, and your, your response to life isn't what it's designed to be. Now, there's all kinds of gimmicks that they've created to like help people get back on the right circadian rhythm if they're coming off graveyard trying to, trying to get back into normal life. So they'll have like things like lights that you look at or a, a you know, light globe that you'll sit around and it's supposed to help you and they'll, they'll have different p- computer screens. They have just all kinds of stuff. But you know what they found is the best, most um, effective way of getting back health, like moving out of uh, unhealth to health with your rhythm. They, give people, they say, get a sleeping bag, and if you need it, get a tent, go to a mountaintop, and camp for 24 hours, maybe 48 hours. And someone whose rhythm is really off and they're unhealthy, all of a sudden, it, re, it like restarts the brain. And all of a sudden, you're healthier, and your body's responding to the because the light comes up, and you're out in the elements, and the light goes down, and your body, it just restarts you. And I think Jesus had a rhythm much like that where he would go to the mountaintop and, and it was like reset spiritually. And some of us need to get prayer in our life because there's unhealth going on. Like, and that unhealth is like you're anxious all the time, worried all the time. Your priorities are out of whack. Your, your emotions are out of whack. And, and those are all the signs that spiritually there's unhealth. The rhythm is off. And maybe we just need to go to the mountaintop and spend some time with God and just go to the source and let him, don't just try to do self-help without God help. <laughs> don't just try to fix yourself on, on your, by yourself. Go to God, go to the source, go to the mountaintop and pray. Amen? So here's this prayer. I'll give you a little bit more context for this. But uh, in this prayer, Jesus teaches him. He says, this is how you should pray. Father, may your name be kept holy. May your kingdom come soon. Give us each day the food we need and forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. And don't let us yield to temptation. It's almost exactly the same prayer in in Matthew. But the context, what's the context difference? Jesus, when he declares his ministry in Luke, says, I have come, if you remember back in Luke 4, there's this declaration, I'm come to, to heal the sick, I'm going to bring sight to the blind, set the captive free, and he says this statement that's really interesting, um, to bring the year of the Lord's favor. What does that mean? 
That's, if you're Jewish and you're reading this or you're hearing him say this, you know what he's talking about. Many of us might not know what he's talking about. He's referring back to this special time in the Old Testament, back when the law was given to Israel. Back in, in Isaiah 60, uh, it talks about this, but it's the time of Jubilee. Now, the year of Jubilee was designed to be a time. Uh, it was the 50th year, 49th or 50th year. And, and what it was meant to be was the restart button for the entire nation. So over the 50 years, as people are, uh, go through life, people would lose land. They would, uh, there are people that would lose like their freedom and become captive. There are people who had uh, become uh, in, indebted financially. And uh, there, was times, uh, this, there was times where, where people were at enmity with one another. And the year of Jubilee, the time of the Lord's favor, Jesus is referencing was a time of grace. It was a restart, a reconciliation, a restoring of people. So when that, when the year of Jubilee was to happen, was when people would be freed from being captives if they were enslaved, enslaved at all. They would um, be freed of any of the financial debt. How many guys could use a Jubilee right now? They would be freed and forgiven of all their debt. They were released from that. They would be released uh, of, of anything that would cause enmity between them and other people. And it was, it was a time of freedom, a restart button. Do you know how many times the nation of Israel or the people of Israel practiced the Jubilee historically? There were zero recording, zero, uh, zero recordings of them actually following that. Why do you think that was? Well, the people who have made the wise decisions, right decisions, lived well, done all the things right, or the people who are in power, all of a sudden you come to that 50th year and you're like, really? Like I have to give what I've gained back because of some rule? And so they didn't follow it. And so when Jesus hits the scene, he says, now is the time of the Jubilee. It's the restart. It's like, I'm going to unleash a flood of grace and we're going to flip um, the way we understand the kingdom of God. It's not, a just, it's not just about a kingdom of religion and people who have and people who have not. We are brothers and sisters and we are going to be restored to one another. And the grace of God is going gonna, is gonna to just roll down on people. It's going to be unbelievable. And when Jesus says this, it changes everything. And I think when you read the book of Luke, do you guys know the central story of the book of Luke? Just a little bit more context and we'll move forward. This is really important. Do you guys know the central story of Luke? When Jesus tells a story called the prodigal son, it's about one son who's run away and done his own thing, right? Then he comes to his senses, realizes how foolish it was that he ran away from the home and he, and he scorned his father and shamed his father and then he decides to run back home asking for just a little bit of grace and a little bit of forgiveness. He knows he doesn't deserve anything and he runs back. And then there's this older brother who's out in the fields, right? And the, he sees that the, the son has come back and the father has embraced him and the father has forgiven him. And, and he sees it and, he, and he's resentful and he's angry because look what I've done and I've slaved all these years and I've, I've stayed home and I did the right thing. How dare my father go and welcome him? How dare my father throw a party at, at, you know, at my expense with my inheritance toward this fraud of a brother? And Jesus is speaking to the Jubilee grace problem. 
that Israel, the leaders of Israel, have refused to welcome in the younger brothers who have sinned and run their own way and have all these issues and have all kinds of problems, and they've kept them marginalized on the edges, and, and they've refused to welcome them home. And so the story of the prodigal son is really the story of the Jubilee, which is really the story of what Jesus is all about. It's this time of grace. It's the time of transformation. And so now you see the prayer, the Lord's Prayer in Luke might almost better be called the prodigal prayer. Because it starts off saying what? When you pray, say, Father. Jesus is saying with this prayer, the Father is running toward the prodigal sons. He's running toward those who have gone their own way. He's running toward the resentful ones even who are upset and angry and unforgiving. And, and sometimes rightfully so. Look at those terrible decisions. Look what they've done. And this prayer is meant for you and me to remind us that we are to live in a reality, a prodigal reality, where we serve a God who longs to bring people home who've run away. And he longs to bring the religious, angry, resentful, older brothers and sisters who are frustrated at those other people because they've done stupid things in stupid ways. And he still stands for us. And he still wants to bring us in. No matter who you, where you are in that continuum, he stands for you. And this prayer is a prodigal prayer. Father, holy is your name. Your way, your kingdom, not my kingdom. Give us bread for today. Do you remember in the prodigals when he runs away and he comes to his senses, he realizes, I have no food. He's with pigs and all he wants is some bread. Give us this, this day our daily what? Bread. It's a prodigal prayer. It's a prodigal reality that you and I can live in a different way than the world lives. Forgive us our sins as we forgive those who have sinned against us. That's a prodigal prayer. Help me forgive my brother. Help me forgive my sister as my father has forgiven me. It's a prodigal prayer. Do you see it? Now I want to get really practical with the time I have left. Um, we teach, I teach this in our journey track and we, we just have a, a simple acrostic that hits some basic things as a prayer. It's, we, we call it pray, P-R-A-Y. And it hits all the things that are in the Lord's prayer, the prodigal prayer. And I'm just going to give this to you guys. And I, my hope is that this would be something that you could use daily or weekly to grow your prayer life. I, I use this uh, as an uh, acrostic that helps me just pray through things. And here's what it simply stands for, uh, pray, P-R-A-Y. P, if you have your notes, you can, you can take these. P stands for praise. And I, I taught, taught that last week, praise and, and thanksgiving. Um, start, start praying with praise. So in my journal, when I'm starting with prayer, I, I praise God and I thank him for who he is and how great he is. And it's just following a pattern that we also see in, the, in, the, um, in this prodigal prayer. So praise and then R stands for repent, to, to ask for forgiveness and turn to God, turn to his way. Um, A stands for ask, that God wants us to ask. Um, to make our requests known to him. And then Y stands for yield. It's yielding to God's way. Okay, I'm going to do your thing, God, not my thing. So I taught on praise last week, so I'm going to jump to repent. And um, if you want to fill in the blanks on your, on your notes, re- repent is the prayer is forgive me, search me, 
I love in Luke eleven four in the prodigal prayer, in the Lord's prayer, he says, forgive us our sins as we forgive those who have sinned against us. I was just at a funeral here yesterday, um, remembering the life of T.J. Fairley. He, he found Christ here in 2011, got baptized, um, died far too young. And when people filled this hall, it was just so much emotion. I mean, they had a picture of him and... and it was like one of the first days of Whitewater Church, and he was one of the wel- you know one of the welcome crew, and he had like one of the programs, and it said "Welcome to Whitewater," and he was like the smiliest guy, just loved TJ. But in this room with all these people, there was tension, there was even animosity. You could sense it, you could feel it, and, and before the the memorial, like um, before the memorial, there were people that were worried and, and stressed and anxious about the different factions that I went talk to each other or hated each other and and it was amazing to see in the middle of that memorial people come down and say hey we don't have much time on this planet is there any way that we could forgive one another I mean people just speaking to each other people who haven't spoken in I don't know how much how long and all of a sudden the room changed I mean, we don't have much time. And other, other people saying, hey, we've got to show up and be here for each other. And sometimes we can fight and be angry at each other, but life's too short. We've got to forgive one another. That just theme kept coming. And all of a sudden, after uh, the memorial, like when, we were, when the uh, food was getting broken out and, and people were talking, you just saw restoration, forgiveness happening. Forgive me. As I, I'm learning to forgive others for the sins they've, they've committed against me. Prayer leads us to forgiveness. If you want to become a forgiving person, I don't know how you do it without prayer. Pray it. God, help me. Help me just have a vision for it. I, I'm not there yet, but help me, Lord. Help me to let go of it. I have a friend, he, he said when the snow came this last week, um, he has this like metal roof and, and all this snow dumped out on t- like right in front of his garage and he couldn't back out so he had to get his shovel out, start digging it. You know, removed the barrier. It was like, okay. Then he got his car out, parked it back later. Then he came out again, and more snow had fallen off the roof. Boom. And he's like, are you kidding me? Shovel that moved it. Went out, came back. Came out again to, to get his car out. And again, more snow. He said it just kept sliding, and he was, just, he was having to move and shovel snow. And isn't this what forgiveness is like? Forgiveness for me isn't like just like this one-time forgiveness. It could start there, but it's like I always have to go back to clear the lane between me and other people so that, so that life can happen. I've got to clear out the path. Friends, prayer and repentance and forgiveness is so key. If, if you want to uh, take time to repent too, uh, Psalms 139, 23 and 24 says this, Search me, God. Know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. Point out anything in me that offends you. I mean, do you know how dangerous that prayer is? Have you ever prayed that prayer? God, point out anything in me that offends you. I mean, sometimes my prayer is like, Lord, point out anything that I'm willing to talk to you about that offends you. That's a hard prayer to pray. But if we want to repent, if we want to seek forgiveness and reconciliation with God and with others, God, search me, know me. Forgive me. Because the more I know how much I've, I've been forgiven, the greater my capacity grows to forgive others. Is that true for you? It's true for me. The more I realize how much God forgives me, my capacity grows to forgive others. Ask. Let's move to the next one. Ask. And that prayer for your notes is help me. It's a really simple prayer. Help me. How many of you guys have ever been there before? Help me. 
Ask. God wants us to ask. In the same passage on prayer, Jesus continues teaching on it, and he teaches about the power of asking. And we live in a world where I think people get afraid to ask God. They're like, who am I? I'm insignificant. I'm unworthy. Or like, is God really listening? And so they don't ask. Or they think like, everything's like just deterministic. What's it really going to, what's really going to change with my prayers? Like, God's not going to move. Like, the, the world is what it is, and it's just this domino effect, and nothing's going to change it. So we don't ask, and we don't pray and, pray. and Jesus, he teaches against that mentality. He said that mentality is, a, is, a, is wrong-headed. He's like, that's like a result of the sin world we live in when we take that defeatist mentality. Oh, nothing will change. God doesn't hear me. And he teaches this. Teaching them more about prayer, uh, Jesus used this story. Suppose you went to a friend's house and at midnight, wanting to borrow three loaves of bread. No, just for a second. Wanting at midnight. <laughs> wanting to borrow three loaves of bread from a friend. How many of you guys would be excited to loan some bread to a friend at 12 o'clock? My wife goes to bed at like 8.30. She would not be excited. She would not be your friend. <laughs> he says, you say to him, a, f- a friend of mine has just arrived for a visit and I have nothing for him to eat. And suppose he calls out from his bedroom, don't bother me. And you're like, that would be a very natural reaction. Now, what we need to know, too, about this culture, if if you're Jewish and listening to this, there's a a Jewish crowd in ancient, you know, um, Israel, hearing this, reading this, the the early church reading this, and this, they would probably be, they would probably laughing their heads off. In a small village, they're imagining a small, you know, like a village uh, in Israel, two Jewish men start yelling at each other in the middle of the night. That's the scenario. When you know, Jewish man comes up and he says, I need some bread. And he's pounding on the door at midnight. And his friend who's asleep wakes up. And he says, what does he say to him? He says, don't bother me. The door is locked for the night. My family and I are all in bed and I can't help you. And the Jewish people listening to this are cracking up. Because two Jewish men are yelling at each other in the middle of the night. And in this culture, like, the, like you had a sleeping room. So the whole family's in the room. It's like, I can't get up. My family's here. And they're imagining this, this Jewish man yelling out the window while his children are, are, are waking up. My family's asleep. I can't come out. Go away. And the other man just, you know, persisting, shamelessly persisting. But I need some bread. We're friends. Not tonight. My families. And you can all of a sudden see like the other families in the neighborhood and the small village. All of a sudden the flickering of candles coming on because it takes a little work to get some light on. You know, and the light's coming on. What's going on? The town's waking up and all those two are at it again. Give me some bread. I will give you no bread. And then his family just like, give him some bread. Do you see the scenario? (laughs) You see people chuckling at this. But I tell you this. Though he won't do it for friendship's sake, if you keep knocking long enough, he will get up and give you whatever you need because of your shameless persistence. You could see people in the town going, just give him some bread. Because now he's going to be shamed if he's not giving bread. Why is it so important that this guy has to get bread at 12 o'clock? Because in ancient Israel, this time, hospitality 
was like one of the most important things. Even to your enemy, you had to be hospitable. And he was, if he didn't have bread, it meant he wasn't ready to serve his guests. And if he didn't have bread, it meant he didn't prepare. And if he hadn't prepared, he, it made it look like he didn't care. And it was dishonoring to his guests. And this story is telling us that he would rather take on dishonor and shame with his community than dishonor his guests. I don't know if there's, for you, but when I read that, I think, man, if God wants to be our, my guest in my life and have a relationship, then I need to learn to be shamelessly persistent shamelessly persistent like he was willing to look shameful and persist and keep knocking on that door and Jesus finishes this this teaching on asking with verse 9 he says and so I tell you keep asking and you will receive what you ask for keep on seeking and you will find and keep on knocking and the door will be open to you for everyone who asks receives everyone who seeks finds and everyone who knocks the door will be open. If someone were to look at your life, would they say that with the way you pray and the way you beg God and the way you ask him to move, like you are shamelessly persistent, you won't stop, you keep pounding on that door, you won't give up, you persist and you, you don't care what you look like. You don't care if you look like a fool to your friends, you don't care if you look like a fool to your town or to other people, you will shamelessly persist in prayer, asking God to answer. What are things in your life that you've stopped persisting on? Don't stop. How persistent are you in prayer? The last thing is yield. Yield. You can write on your notes, your way, not my way. Your way, not my way. Luke eleven four says, and don't let us yield to temptation. Don't let us yield to temptation. And this is the last um, teaching I want to give you today. Don't yield to temptation. What does that mean? It's saying don't yield your life to what the world wants and the way the world's going. Don't yield your life to religion rather than a relationship with God. Don't yield to what everyone else wants to do, but God is saying, do this. Don't yield to that. Do you know how many times I hate seeing the yield sign when I'm driving? You ever feel that way? You're like, I got here first, and there's some slow truck barreling down, and you're like, I have to yield to that? I was here. He wasn't. She wasn't. Like, come on. You just want to, but yielding is saying your way. You go. I'm going to, I'll follow And in our relationship with God, we have a choice. Will we yield to the temptation of the world or we yield to God? We live in a day and age where people love to rely on the forgiveness of God. Christians will, we specialize on like consuming the forgiveness and grace of God. But I'm afraid sometimes in our culture, we forget that like one of the most important concepts is doing God's will. Not just our will. In fact, this is connected to the beginning of the prayer. Don't yield to temptation. What's that saying? Well, yield to God. And how how does Jesus start this prayer? He says, when you pray, say, Father. Father, you, you're the boss. Your name be honored as holy. Your kingdom come. Your way. And then in an older text, it says, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Your will. 
And I'm afraid that, that sometimes in an effort to consume grace and forgiveness, we forget about the grace of obedience, of following. That sometimes when we just want to receive forgiveness without following God's will, it just becomes an excuse to do our own thing. And maybe it's out of ignorance, maybe it's out of obstinance, I don't know. But, but God has called us to learn to live a life of following and seeking his will. And we don't want to miss the point. The point of forgiveness, the point of, of God accepting us and, and pouring his generous grace on us is so that we'll stop doing our own thing. And if you notice, the, how does Jesus start the prayer? When you pray, say, Father. I'm telling you, this is the most important shift in our thinking, in our hearts, in our minds. When we can come and say, Father, God isn't like some moral cop in the sky waiting to arrest us and smite us. He's not some mean old stern teacher, you know, that's just telling us what we ought to have done. He's not, you know, the hall monitor telling us where we should be and this and that. He is our Father. And he loves us. And he's not even the janitor that's supposed to clean up our messes like, like one, many of us try to, to treat him. First and foremost, primarily he is our father. And so when we pray the prodigal prayer and say, Father, we become the son who comes to our senses or daughter who comes to our senses and sees the reality how much we need him, how much he loves us, how much, how much better his way is than our way. And we turn from the path that we are on that led to destruction. And sure, it starts off with quick results and the paths that we take, we get immediate, like maybe an immediate kick. And it, man, it's, it's great, but it's, it never lasts long. And so when we turn from that way and we turn to God and we yield to him, we say, our father, and we run to him. And we have a relationship with him. And it fundamentally changes everything. When we say our father, hell trembles. When someone looks to, to heaven and says, father, darkness, hell, evil trembles and leaves. It changes everything. When we say father, love comes into our hearts and into the room. When we say father, light casts out the darkness. And we fundamentally change. Because now all of a sudden we're connected to the source of all life and light, and that life loves us. Changes everything. So when you pray, may you, when you pray, Father, he's a good father. He doesn't abandon us. He loves us. He's not like some earthly fathers who have abandoned what fathership means. He will never abandon you. The prodigal prayer helps us run to the Father. So my prayer for you is that your prayer life would grow in him. And maybe you've been a prodigal. Maybe you've been the resentful brother or the runaway brother. And you're here today and it's time to start coming home. If that's you, would you pray this prayer with me? I'm just going to read this prayer. You can bow your heads. If you're needing to return to him or turn to him for the first time, would you pray this with me in the quiet of your heart Father may your name be kept holy may your kingdom come soon give us each day the food we need forgive us for our sins may we forgive those who have sinned against us and Father don't let us yield 
to temptation. I yield to you, God. Amen. If that was you and you took a step of faith, would you mark that on your Connect card? Would you come talk with me? We want to help you continue moving on your journey. Um, I hope that your prayer life will be rich as we pray and learn to call on our Father. Let's worship.